Why don't we uh, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and uh, let Him guide us into some wisdom as we get into uh, this this great book of Ecclesiastes. Father, we thank you for your truth. It's timeless. Even though this was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Lord, we know that it is not only meant for the readers of Solomon and Solomon himself, but to us today. And thank you, Lord, for giving us truth and the wisdom so that we can know you and have a relationship with you that is eternal. And you have the answers for eternity. They're all right here in your truth, in your book. But yet people go other ways to look at it. And it's absolutely empty, everything, unless it be with you in the middle of it all. So help us uh, learn some more precious truths and to get the idea more about how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the first thing we start with here is the first 11 verses, which really gives us a, a good overall view. Why don't we just kind of read through that. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What a way to start a book. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes... A generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets. And hastening to its place, it rises there again, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north. The wind continues, swirling along, and on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See this, it is new? Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. <laughs> if people would be brutally honest with themselves, they would be saying the same thing as Solomon is saying here. If you think about it. It starts off with the words of the preacher. The preacher is Ecclesiastes. If you uh, take the Greek, uh, the Septuagint, um, that's how you get that word Ecclesiastes. It's one who gathers a congregation um, a preacher, it's the name from which we get this modern word, Ecclesiastes. And it's what this person here is calling himself. Uh, Solomon says that. Um, he's speaking to this uh, to us in this book. And, uh, he's, of course, he's summarizing it all, I think, in verse 2 there. But uh, this is the words of the preacher. Uh, the son of David. Now, he was actually the son of who? The son of David, actually. Now, there is another one called the son of David who is the Messiah to come from that kingly line. But you had the great King David. You had Saul. Then you had God's choice, David. And then David had his son, Solomon, who was given wisdom and great godly wisdom. And he used it 
for a while, and then he misused it. And with that misuse of wisdom, we can see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that he did. And uh, so, verse 2, you know, here is saying, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Um, a lot of vanity. He, you know, how, how much more can he multiply it, right? <laughs> if you have vanities... Uh, it's like saying this, and that was um, it would be a kind of a term that was used uh, in a literary form. If you have, uh, let's say, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I mean, he is the King of all the kings, the Lord of all the lords, right? Um, a man among men. That that's the thing. Vanity of vanities. I mean, it hits, and there's there's nothing. Um, there's nothing. Good without God. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Every bit of that. So, um, he's saying it's meaningless. He's saying it's hopeless. He's saying it's in despair. He says, and it's almost like he's saying, if if you were to say, okay, Solomon, I know you now, where you're at in your belief. And Solomon says, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. He doesn't start off that way, but I've experienced things. I've achieved some things that men have experienced and achieved. This is what the preacher here is relating. He's, you know, there's definitely experience. Uh, In the 19th century, there was a philosophy that grew out of, uh, at the time you think of uh, Tsarist Russia. Uh, The revolutionaries were then started rejecting the authority of the state, uh, even the authority of the church, the authority of the family. Uh, By the end of the 19th century, you had Friedrich Nietzsche. You guys are familiar with him. He had formalized this philosophy of nothingness, and he called it nihilism. I bet you know what nihilism is, don't you? What's ex nihilo? The world is created out of nothing, right? Well, nihilism would be what? Nothingness. Nothingness. And that's really what Nietzsche really preached. Nothingness. That's what it was about. Uh, It comes from a Latin root, nihil, nothing. There's no meaning in this life is really ultimately what he was espousing. It's a belief that all all your values, everything that people would try to grab a hold of and have something to to believe in, he actually was saying it's baseless. There's no foundation. There's there's no objective basis uh, for value. Um, Nothing can be known. What's that? Very Darwinian. Same well, same time of, period, wasn't it? One of the most famous sayings that reeks of Darwinism is that which does not kill us makes us strong. Uh, <laughs> Think about that one, right? Yeah. Every belief, every uh, time that you know people consider something true, to that kind of view, it's necessarily false. There's no true world. Nihilism associated with an extreme pessimism. You've heard of pessimists? I mean, this is taking it to its radical conclusion. And skepticism. That's that's the same thing. Radical skepticism. And actually it condemns existence. And so that's the view that they take. A, a, a true nihilist really believes in nothing. Uh, no loyalties and hey, there's no purpose. Which there's no purpose to where we're going. Which is funny because I mean, when you start thinking about that, then 
deal with the man of itself to the point where they shouldn't have wanted to it in the first place. <laughs> 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 you, you just said it. I need to teach you all about the uselessness of everything. That's a train Listen of Listen what I have to say. It's like a train of thought that is a circle. <laughs> Circular reasoning, right? Which, yeah. yeah. Why should I listen to you? There, this sounds like the same kind of philosophy that that's in the schools today. There are no absolutes, right? How do we get there? How do we get to that point? Well, Nietzsche, he argued for nihilism, and he said this: its corrosive effect would eventually destroy all moral, all religious, and metaphysical convi- uh, convictions and lead to the greatest crisis in human history. He wasn't too far off. Sure. That's right. Because, I mean, without morality, even even if people aren't religious or don't know the Lord, morality keeps even mean people's nice. Mm-hmm. From showing, yeah. From yeah. Their right. yeah. It's like, like they're being held back by morality. Right. Yeah, you know, without God, they are, he, he is right. He's right. Without God. So that's the whole point. This, that's what the whole point of Ecclesiastes. Without God, yeah, that's all this is. Um, he undermined virtually all the systems in our society is what he did. And this is what preoccupies artists today. Um, some of the crazy artwork that started coming out in the in the 1900s, especially the at the end of the 1900s, a lot of weird stuff coming out. Songwriters, they're saying the same thing in their music, in their writing. Look at it and you go, this doesn't make a bit of sense. And that's exactly what they want to do. Don't make any sense because it is nothing. You look, look at some of the, the popular songs that have been written and you'll notice that there's nothing there. It's just absolutely empty. Poets, social critics, philosophers. Uh, but there was a philosopher long before Nietzsche. And he was wiser than this German thinker Nietzsche. He called himself the preacher. In the second verse of this book he says, everything is meaningless. He said the same thing that Nietzsche will later say and all the other philosophers and all the other people that make an impact on this world today if they're not Christians are doing the same thing. And he says vanity. Vanity of vanities. Uh, vanity means futility. It means meaningless. It means vain. It means empty. Um, I remember whenever I was a kid, now there's, this is funny how words develop, but I remember as a kid going over to my aunt's house and she had a vanity. <laughs> Some of you might know what a vanity... Do they still have vanities today? It's like a desk or a drawer, uh, right? Uh, you know, uh, or a dresser, I mean. Has a, mirror. has a little seat and a mirror there. Yeah. Right. So does it mean furniture? No. no. What Behind all that, why is that? Well, people would be preoccupied with making themselves look good because they care about what people think. Not that in that itself that that's really wrong, okay? But you can see how it got to that word vanity. Matter of fact, in Pilgrim's Progress, that word is also used. Vanity, 
fair. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy, that that's pretty well tells it, doesn't it? <laughs> but you think of vain. People get puffed up, you know. Uh, but the Bible uses a synonym uh, for um, for this, and um, it really comes down to futility. Futile. Uh, vain is useless. Vain is empty. Vain is no value. Think of that when you're sitting in front of the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> this is futile. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I say that more and more every day. This, this is futile trying to do anything with this. Anyway, um, I think when when somebody would say this looks like it's really written by a pagan and uh, it's coming from an unbelieving view of life, uh, all it's doing is pointing to futility. Uh, how and and matter of fact, the word that he uses here, along with vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I have that title, I think, don't I? Everything, every and when he when he says all, and he means he really means. Everything, anything you can think of, people, uh, objects, uh, you, you name it. It's it, it, everything. It, it's just nothing. And oh, I think I know what you're talking about there. Um, Something that vanishes, uh, something along that lines, like a like a vapor. Is that on vanity itself? Wow! Like a, a breath is here and it's gone. Uh, there's no substance to it, right? Uh, a handful of wind uh, is the idea. You know, and I think all of us, in one sense, I think we would we would fear the futility of life. I mean, if if you were to labor all of your life, whether it's working at your job or doing all the things that you do, you, you want to make some kind of a difference that that you're here, right? And but how would you like to conclude your life and it really meant absolutely nothing? That would be futile, right? You know, just a, a futile, a fruitless. Life, empty life. So, vanity of vanities, uh, quite a literary device, and I spent a long time on it because uh, it definitely is our theme for the rest of the chapters. Um, he says, What advantage in verse 3 does man have in all his work? Advantage. Uh, what advantage does a man have? Uh, it's gain. What, what gain? What, what gain does a man get? Um, what does he yield? Everything that he puts into life, what's his yield? What does he get out of it? And the preacher's answer is, he doesn't. it doesn't pay any dividends. <laughs> now remember, we know we have the answer to say, oh, wait a minute, yes it does, but that's in Christ. <laughs> but to the average person, when they're hearing this, that's his question. Um, what advantage does a man have in all the work that he does? Whether it be at his job that he does eight hours a day, or whether he does... 
uh, with other people, whether he does it at home, his physical labor, the mental, the emotional anguish that goes all with it, all the human endeavors that we do, the misery, the trouble, the hardship in life. And he says, under the sun, everything that we do, everything has an undertone of misery and futility. (laughs) Well, I drive it home, right? Uh, What advantage does a man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Vanity, under the sun. Under the sun is this life. Um, The preacher's way of talking about being earthbound. Being bound by space, being bound by time, it's not coming from a heavenly view. This is it right here, you know, where we're at. It doesn't look above the skies. It doesn't look to ultimate realities and where everything is going. Uh, it's everything under the sun. It's earthly, right? Very worldly, very earthly. And so when he uses that, that idea, that's what he's after. He uses generation. Goes, a generation comes. Earth remains forever. Um, he's talking the perpetuity of the problem. The problem doesn't stop. It just keeps on going. And you have one, a new generation comes along. It doesn't come up with the secret formula. They try to come up with it and they ask the same questions, only worded in different ways, and then people don't read books about it. So they come up with what they think is original. It's already been here. They've already tried. You know what? They go, wow, don't you read history? That's why I like history. History, people need to know history of knowing what man's mistakes are so they won't repeat it. You know, it's like... um, uh, government health care. It's been tried everywhere. It's been tried in Europe. It's been tried in Canada. I've never seen heard any success out of it whatsoever. It's always been a failure. And the United States says, hey, let's try something new. Well, guess what? It's not even working. You're getting people very angry now because they're looking to see how much they're having to pay in their taxes. Well, we knew about this, I think, decades before, you know, when they started talking about this. Well, it's it's finally here. Um, but hey, it's nothing new. It's it's been tried. It doesn't work. So nobody comes up with a secret formula. Problem doesn't go, go away. It doesn't get better over time. Matter of fact, it's, it's the same old situation. You can take the way the world is now and go back to the time after Adam and Eve sinned, and it's the same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mankind is thinking the same kind of stuff, doing the same kind of things, and it never gets them any satisfaction. Rolling Stones. You know the song I'm thinking of. What is it, Carmela? <laughs> he said it, didn't he? Sounds like Ecclesiastes. Um, life under the sun. Life under the sun. Same old situation here on planet Earth. Uh, none of our endeavors apart from God are any good. All the songs about working hard and getting nothing for it. <laughs> That's why you find so many songs a quest for meaning and they're frustrated. They can't find it. One of, one of my favorite songs in this, and it says it all, and it was written, he's actually one of my favorite musicians of all time, Kerry Livgren, who before he became a Christian was a seeker of, of, of truth and he was in the religion of the month club. He'd bounce from one to the other to the other to the other. And he wrote some pretty deep songs when he was with Kansas. Kansas was probably one of the most successful groups, was one of the most successful groups in the 70s and 80s. Did he write Dust in the Wind? He wrote Dust in the Wind. I didn't even say it yet, did I? All we are is dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. He was right. I say he's right. He's so close. And he wrote that before he was a Christian. 
he's later God came to him and met him and he saw what he had been looking for and uh, the truth was right there um, but apart from God people who don't know God they're writing songs and they're looking for an answer they're trying to give an answer a lot of times they'll give the answer but it's the same as what Ecclesiastes is saying here what is it uh, the theme of rock and roll is uh, drug, sex and, sex, and rock and roll. That's what life is all about. Well, it's right here in Ecclesiastes, every one of those. I talk to people about that and they say, well, it's just rock and roll, you know? <laughs> <Not good. laughs> yeah. Seasons of life and the sun sets, sun uh, rises, the sun sets, repetitious activity. Um, also, the sun rises, sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Then talks about the blowing toward the south and turning toward the north. Talks about the winds. He's talking repetition. You know, you got the rivers, the water. To the worldly, per- to a person who doesn't know God, it's an endless cycle. Just keeps on going. It is monotonous. To the Jewish thinking. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament believer, they saw a definite beginning to this world and they saw it moving toward a definite point and that's consummation. You're a Christian? That's what you believe too. We see a linear type thought. But to the rest of people who do not believe, it's all just circular because if you don't have a beginning... And you don't have to where it's going. It's po- they, they're not going anywhere. The best that they can offer is that you die and that's it. <laughs> uh, uh, some of them offer uh, Hinduism, and that's even, oh, that's worse than just dying and being it. Then you go into another life, which might be worse than what you've had now. And you might have a million lives, and it could be a trillion lives. Just, you're a bug, you're a cow, until you get it right. Now that's hopeless. And in India, that is hopeless. They don't like that thought, but that's what they're caught into. But in the West here, people think that that's really a cool type of religion. Karma. That's right. Hey, that that all came out like that. That kind of thinking, that way, you know, was back in the '60s. Was whenever that really started hitting hard. Like, have you ever actually done the research on eagle population? They're pretty much dying out. Good luck. Yeah, the flow of the tide. Uh, So there's, you know, the the Old Testament believer would rejoice, and he knows it's it's even it's going to get better, and he knows a God that is in sovereign control. Mention that to anybody else that's not a believer. That's absolutely ridiculous. A God who's in sovereign control, they don't like that thought. That means there's a purpose to this. And there's morals to this. Boy, does this, could this ever speak to our society today? This is where it's at. Cycles of nature. Oh, it would seem monotonous. The seasons, the rivers, the sun, the wind, and all of that. Uh, eternal reoccurrence. And that's what Nietzsche taught. Eternal reoccurrence. All of history is just a cycle. And it, it, there's no beginning, there's no ending. It's just always been that way. And that's the way it's always going to go. Boy, that is depressing, isn't it? Are you going to keep moving on? Huh? Um, 
spinning in a circle. Meaningless. I'll tell you what, we can put it this way. We can boil everything down to two things. Everything is meaningless or it has eternal purpose. And sooner or later, this person would say, well, no, everything, you know, everything, things have meaning. No, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven or anything. But, you know, there, there's meaning to this. After it's all said and done, nobody's going to remember you. You know, a hundred years from now, who's going to know that person, you know? But there's an eternal purpose. So that's where it's at. Either it's absolutely meaningless, you might as well take the Nietzsche view. Because he was right. The writer here is right without God. That's really where it comes down to. So um, it keeps on spinning, though. People come, people go. Um, Verse 9, that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. (laughs) Nothing new, right? Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? Already has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things. There you go. Uh, Wow. Uh, There's two universal laws. Unfulfilled expectations... And that's really what it comes down to. Unfulfilled expectations. Or number two, the law of diminishing returns. <laughs> and um, when you finally get what you want, you find out that really isn't that it's great, is it? Yeah. Is this really what I wanted? Put something on like such a high, like I can't wait to get it, I can't wait to do it, I can't wait. And when it actually, you build up this expectation of it, and once you get it, it's just not as good as you actually wanted it to be. And so you're like, well... Be careful what you wish for. You might get a little... <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> Does the new ever rub off new things? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty quick, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, really quick. Especially uh, when they got a new, new thing out. Mm-hmm. You the oh, wait, that's wait, right. You wait for the newest new thing, and then by the time you get that, there will be a newer thing to come in the future. And it's not much different that you know, like all the different iPads or the different iPhones, and they're really not that much difference than it was before. So they start giving you different sizes. One is like this size, and the other one is like this size. You can't even hardly tell the difference between the sizes. Changes the color of your background. There you go. <laughs> like, wow, that's a hundred. Ooh, I got to get that. Right there, that makes the that makes the phone work. <laughs> and then, within by the next year, you're going to have to get something new because this thing is it's outdated. 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 So uh, uh, we have Super Bowl coming up this this week Sunday. Those guys train their whole lives, and they get to their first Super Bowl. This is what they've been going for. And they win the Super Bowl and they're all happy and everything and maybe for the next few days and next week or so. And then it all starts over again. They've got to start training for the next year to try to defend their championship. And usually, most teams don't repeat. Right. <laughs> you know, how futile it is. You know, it, it's, it's neat. But it's like a lot of guys, that's their life. And when, when they get there, I don't know how many I've, I've heard say, that was it. Right. You know, they got a trophy. The team got a trophy. You know, I got first prize. Or in the Olympics, you know, you, you get a gold medal. The, the satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Is this, this it? How many times have I heard that from interviews? Well, the song, Is That All There Is? Also, you remember that one? Yeah, who, who did that? Was that Noel Paul Stuckey or 
No, it was a woman. I can't remember. Mm. Mama Cass? No. no. <laughs> it was in that era, though. Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, Augustine. This is this is a quote I really like, and and I see this quote a lot. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. He puts eternity into our hearts. Do you know where that comes from? Ecclesiastes. <laughs> he puts eternity into every person's life to realize that there's something much better than this. There's an eternal God out there that I can know. I mean, everyone has that. There was a book uh, written uh, quite some time ago, a few decades ago, called Eternity in Their Hearts. It's about missionaries, and, and they would go to places where people had never heard the gospel. Right. Not, there's still places like that. And it was like they heard something about this white man coming into their jungle and into the midst of their tribe and giving them finally the ultimate truth. And finally, you know, one guy would say, you know, he would tell them about the Son of God and Jesus and dying for sins. He said, oh, so that's what they call him. It's like they had heard that story before, but now he came in and gave it a more pronounced way. That's really kind of interesting how willingly those people are willing to accept the truth just right off the bat after just generations of living the way they did, you know, like in a little village or in a little jungle or, you know, just like that. And you bring the gospel to them and they're really just ready to take it in. It's funny how it's just like hard for our society to accept it. <laughs> yeah. Not looking for That's right. Peggy Lee was. Peggy Lee. Okay, there we go. Is that all? Yeah. I've never heard of it. These days, you can get an answer to everything. Yeah. Really? <laughs> you really can. <laughs> you look for rest anywhere else. People will, you know, they're not going to find it. They look for satisfaction everywhere but the only place. Um, anyway, wisdom we know that can't even supply the meaning of life, even if they have some wisdom. So that's where we get into part two of chapter one. It's actually found in 12 through 18, and then you find it in chapter two again from 12 through 17. So we'll take those two chunks out. Solomon is saying, hey, I know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I mean, he really does. I've collected wisdom. I was given wisdom. As a matter of fact, he could say, I was given more wisdom than any of my predecessors, uh-huh. like no man had ever had. That's something to say, isn't it? Now, we don't see him saying that, but yet at the same time, with him putting all this forth as he's challenging people, I think, you know, if he were talking with people, that's the challenge, isn't it? Uh, I wonder if anybody actually challenged. I mean, I wonder how many people actually came to challenge Solomon. Because there's the queen who came over to test him to see his great wisdom. And, and when she meets him and meets his hospitality and the wisdom that he shared, and she was like, all the people who told me 
spoke almost so little of you. <laughs> that I see you is like compared to that. Way more than what anybody else has ever told me. Here, take all this stuff. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. Um, Overwhelmed, right? Yeah. So, but you know, even even when Solomon has the most of anybody, it still doesn't help solve the problem. Right. It, it, matter of fact, you know what it does? It presses the problem even more. Because right. one with really wisdom that they're going to take it to this point, and that's what Solomon did. Mm-hmm. He took it all the way to the max, which any thinking person really ought to, and saying, "What am I getting out of this life? The next toy." Next little thing I can get from uh, nobody goes to Radio Shack anymore. How about Best Buy or something? Huh? <laughs> I walked in there once. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> At one time, it was the place to go. Evidently, I don't know how it still exists. I really don't. Yeah, we do. It's in the plaza. I even went in there looking for. A guitar cord. <laughs> when I couldn't get it anywhere else. They didn't have it. Well, they had one, but it was kind of high. So I didn't buy it. Um, wisdom, though, does excel folly, but we can read this. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. So, <laughs> and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. Under heaven this time. Everything that's, you know, throughout, you know, the universe. It's a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. (laughs) I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is what? Vanity. And striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. Nobody was like him. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. That is true. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. I think a lot of our philosophers and our writers came to this point, and they take a gun to their heads and blow their brains out because there's nothing else to live for. They they went to the max. They reached it. They they lived and died for what they believed, which was absolutely folly, emptiness. Now go to verse 12 in chapter 2. He, he, he continues on this. There are liabilities and limits even to wisdom, isn't there? So I turn to consider wisdom, madness and folly. What will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. He says, yeah, I, you know, I mean, it, it definitely exceeds that. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. Then I said to myself, you notice something that keeps repeating here? I said to myself. He's contemplating, he's thinking, but he's 
He's not really talking to God at this time, was he? As is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. The wisest man on earth, the same thing will happen to him as it did the most absolute fool. They're both going to die. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. I wish I wasn't even wise. <laughs> he got to that point. He, he wouldn't even be wise if he decided to be dumb. <laughs> 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 it makes no sense, does it? I made the wisest decision. What would you do? I became dumb. Everything I decided is to be dumb. <laughs> and then dumber. <laughs> dumb and dumber. I'm still wiser than the wisest man. <laughs> 16, there's no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool. I mean, we can go back a few hundred years and see some people who wrote some pretty amazing things. But if they weren't Christians, they start reading their stuff and you go, this is nonsense. This is ridiculous. Why am I spending my time reading some person who doesn't know God? There's no lasting remembrance of the wise men. How about all the people of Jewish history that were really wise back even before the time of Christ? Do we know who they are? You know, there's some that sti- you know that, that stick out. They're recorded in books, but for the most people die and and they're gone, and that's that's it. Um, and he, and he says, as with fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. Seventeen. So I hated life. This is Solomon got to the point where he hated life. Life is God. God is life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. If you heard somebody talking like that, you'd say, how sad this is. Solomon was believing this. He came to this point. God uses him to come to that point and then come along and give the truth. Um, so there, there's an idea on on the wise guy. <laughs> the wise and fool are both going to die. They're forgotten. And what good does it do for me, he says, in terms of, of that? Um, but there are ultimate things to life. Chapter 2, the first 11 verses, deal with pleasure or hedonism. The pursuit of devoting yourself to pleasure. You you go from one thing to another, to another. It's, you know, vacations are good, enjoy them. They don't last forever. But some people just want a vacation forever. You know, that's all that life is, is just fun. You know, let's have fun. Let's have exciting things happen so they're thinking, uh, they're always planning what they can do tomorrow, the next day, the weekend. They live for the weekend. They've got to have it now. Now. <laughs> the pleasures of the senses. Uh, pleasure, that's the highest good. Stimulants that you see in verse 3. And here we go. Uh, he had access to whatever was available in that world. They may not have as many and much things back at that time as we do now, but um, pretty well was available to him. What's that? Very comfortable, wasn't it? Nothing new under the sun. Maybe wrapped in different packages. Let's read the first three verses. Here we go again. Sound familiar? I said to myself, Come now, I, you notice that? 
I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. Nothing wrong with enjoyment. Entertainment, that's a good thing. But there's a time for it. And behold, it too was futility or vanity. So he said, you know, just pleasure. I said of laughter. It is madness and a pleasure. What does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. There we go. To get inebriated and uh, stimulants. And they probably had some kind of drugs going on at that time. And anything that was available that could be gotten, I'm sure he, he went for it. Right. I don't know what it was, but I can tell you the alcohol is what it started with. It was a drinking pleasure that he had. Uh, and so, you know, he, he abused it. And, um, you know, he used it in a way that uh, it, was, it was to stimulate him artificially. While my mind was guiding me wisely. You know what? You hear about that, uh, you know, um, uh, Mick, you, you know, the Beach Boys. Yeah. And uh, Brian Wilson, that's his name. He really experimented with drugs. Yeah. And back in the 60s, you see all sorts of, uh, you know, the pictures, the, you know, the different, the wild colors and stuff. And, you know, usually you think of the Beach Boys and they were mild and mellow. And for the most part, they kind of were, you know, they just did happy, fun songs. But this guy was uh, was an amazing mind, but yet it something was not right about that mind, and he used drugs. And I had to look it up and find out after I, I watched uh, the, the film. Well, what about that? He kind of glorified what drugs was about because it expanded his mind. He got a different way of thinking. And it was beyond a lot of people back at that time. Pretty incredible music that they put out. I'm picking up good vibration. Remember that? Oh, you know, a fun song. Really cool. I always liked it. But there's something going on there in his mind, in his thinking. And he took drugs, smoked dope, so that it, it would give him ideas that he couldn't get in his natural realm. The only thing is, what happens with that kind of thinking a lot of the songs don't make sense. Matter of fact, his own people around him said it doesn't make sense. Well, now he looked back and said, that was one of the greatest works and thoughts ever in the history of music. But the thing is, and he would still even come back, it was the drugs that did it. You know, you look back on the story of what, what he was saying. Isn't that called sorcery too? Huh? Sorcery. Yeah. That's what it is, to go into a different mind. Right. 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 Mind-altering drugs, that's what it was about.
So I believe that's what happens a lot of the time. Yeah. That explains why Lucy in the sky with diamonds doesn't make any sense. But if they've been there, they know exactly what that is, don't they? Exactly. (coughs) So Solomon was into this. I mean, you know, it wasn't anything that... Hey, it started in the 1960s. This this has always been around. He, He says, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. And how to take hold of folly, and that's what it does. It takes something that, hey, boy, that's that's brilliant, and turns it into absolute ridiculous that does not make any sense humanly. Until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. Not a house. Or couple houses. He he built. He had a beach house. He had a mountain house. He, I mean, he had the palace. I planted. I planted vineyards. I, I bet you he had other people do that for him. But he had the idea. I planted vineyards for myself. You catch this? Everything is for myself. Houses for myself. Vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I mean, it must have been absolute gorgeous. Matter of fact, I've got a feeling it was probably the next best thing to the Garden of Eden with what he did at that time. This had to be something. So when that queen came and saw this, she had to be amazed. All the gold, the colors, just brilliant that, that it looked. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. They had irrigation. Ponds and irrigation. The systems that we have today, they could have been outdone back at that time by this brilliant mind that Solomon had. I brought male and female slaves and I had home-born slaves. Of their own, they came. I had all these slaves. I also possess flocks and herds. That's really how you measure money and wealth at that time. How many flocks, how many herds do you have? Larger than all who had preceded me in Jerusalem. He was the most wealthiest man ever. He was the most wisest man ever. He was the biggest fool ever. <laughs> when, when it comes to the, the thought of this, there we go. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men. Many concubines. How many wives? 700 wives plus all the concubines? Uh I think it's all out to be like 900, right? It just goes on and on. I mean, he had access every night. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And you can see the pride just coming. Pride comes before the fall. And, of course, we've seen this pride building up through this. Solomon is really telling on himself, isn't he? And it's myself. What happened to God? Well, he had all this wisdom. He didn't need God. Look what he could do. The thing is, that's the whole point. The more stuff we have, the more we need God. (laughs) Because... When we have things, we don't really need God. When I have money, all of a sudden, I don't, I don't need to be praying as much as I did because I, I don't have the need so much. 
Blessed are the poor. Right. Steroids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't that like a socialist thought, like Karl Marx? Uh, he was. He said, you know, the reason people believe in God and religion is to comfort them themselves. Okay. Because they're needy. Yeah. You know. Right. And uh, that's a dangerous thought. You know. And. Christianity turns it on the heels, doesn't it? But that's what they're saying. You're right. There's, uh, you know, it's a, some refer to it as a crutch. Right. Christianity is a crutch. Or, you know, that's just for the needy, the poor people. Hey, that's okay for you, you know. Mm-hmm. But he had advanced further. He he had evolved to a higher state. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Oh, yeah. Well, look what Robin Williams did himself. He had everything. Mm-hmm. Good life, money, mm-hmm. fame. Mm-hmm. My dad says... But he didn't have a God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my right. dad says that people that can't stop being funny or saying jokes and laughing and trying to get people to laugh are the most miserable people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you don't see what's really there. Like the clown. Yeah. They don't see that they really have a need. They really have the need. Yeah, that's right. It's a sad clown, isn't it? So pleasure, you got hedonism, the stimulants, the, the projects, the building, the sex, the money, the possessions, the music. A total hedonist, Solomon was. He was the hedonist of all hedonists. His assessment in verse 9 and 10 is, you'll never have that kind of fun that I had. You don't have the resources to have the kind of fun that I had. And what was the yield of it? Zero. says, you'll never get up to the point of what I had, and I came to... It. Mine was nothing. Zero. No. Vanity. Uh, only God can fulfill it. Um, just to close it out, the, the from 18 through the rest of the chapter, it's about labor. And it doesn't tell what kind of... You know, we have an eight-hour-a-day job, but we work at home. There's just stuff that... Or just your endeavors. You just take it in general. We're just going to read through this and and see if if you didn't have God, what does it make... And and I think you said earlier there, okay, you get up, you go to work. After you've had an education, now you have the job. You have the job, you take the job, you take all the money that you... Uh, what, you know that you had to borrow to get the education, which is, you know, almost everybody. They don't usually have the money to, you know, hey, I'll flit out 100000 bucks to them right here and pay for it all. It takes a while. You have the job, and, you know, you, you thank God because of the job as a Christian, but yet at the same time you're thinking, boy, I wish I didn't have to go to work today. <laughs> I, I admit that. It, it, sometimes that can, have, that can be a wrong view. I, I should really value the fact that, that I have a job. And I have some place to go, and and it can be meaningful. But you know what? If I wasn't a Christian, I you know, and I have to you know, I battle this back and forth. But if I wasn't a Christian, it wouldn't make a bit of sense of doing the little puny job that where I work at. You know what is this? Is this where I have gotten in my life? And sometimes I pretty well ask that myself. Is this where I? Uh, this is where I landed. Is this it? But I know better. You know, I, I know better, but that's in my human thinking. That's that's a problem. Then that's where I need to turn right back to the Lord and start viewing things the way He does. But, okay, here we go. Thus, 
Therefore, all of this that he's already said. Okay, you can have all the stimulants and the projects and the sex and the money, possessions, music, total hedonist. Thus, I hated all the fruit of my labor, everything that I did, all my endeavors. I hated it. For which I had labored under the sun. Does that sound familiar? All this earthbound way. I must leave it to the man who will come after me. I don't even get it all. I can't take it with me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or fool. He might use it foolishly. Spend it all in, in a week. Right. Which would be... <laughs> That's an expensive spending. Yeah, real. <laughs> or however long it took, like the prodigal son, right? right? Yet he'll have control over all the fruit of my labor. He's going to control what I worked for and saved for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. Acting wisely under the sun. Yeah, and what he invested into. Yeah. That's what's saying Proverbs, the fool is wise in his own eyes. There we go. And that would be the wisdom under the sun. He had God's wisdom, abused it, and then he has this kind of wisdom that's under the sun. That's really worldly wisdom. This too is vanity. It's empty, it's nothing, it's meaningless. Therefore, I completely despaired, there's the word, disparity, of all the fruit of my labor, which I had labored under the sun. Total despair. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he had it, he had wisdom, he had knowledge, he had skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. He hasn't worked and done all that that he's done, he gets. He didn't even work anything, and he gets this. I worked for all this. This guy over here didn't work for it. And he gets it. It is true. Yeah. You watch parents that came from nothing that build something, and their kids get it. They have no respect for what was right. done for that to occur. Yep. They have no idea what yeah, what, what was done to get that. Yeah. No, yeah, but yeah. this is like I'm seeing a picture of Solomon. Like my mind is painting a picture of him, mm-hmm. just like this. Wealthiest, richest, smartest, probably most handsome, you know, just talented in every way. Can't sleep, just kind of molts around, depressed, just mm-hmm. laying there, just tears running out of his eyes because he, he knows all these things, he's done all these things, yet in the end it's just, I can't sleep because what's the point of sleeping when I eat? Mm-hmm. You know, there must have been just so many days where he just must have just been laying there, face on the floor, and just not caring. Just laying there. <laughs> All the people, all his wives couldn't comfort him, you know, just probably so many people are like, hey, you know, look at all you have. And he's like, so what? <laughs> Give me some of it. He'd probably, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Take what you want. Yeah, that, that's sad. Yeah. That's when one has reached absolute <laughs> disparity. Um, Doubting Castle. Right. What, what did he need? What did he need while he was in Doubting Castle? He needed the key. The key is what? (laughs) This too is vanity and a great evil. For what does a man get in all his labor, and his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days his task is painful and grievous. Even at night his mind does not rest. What you just said. This too is vanity. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink I like this part, though. This is where things starting to lighten up, and I'm glad we get out of here on a nice little note here. I hate to talk about despair, 
But that's the truth. That's where the gospel starts. You can't have the gospel, the good news, until they know really where they're at. I think Ecclesiastes is written by a man who's giving something now that he knows not only experience, but he's giving truth out, sets a person up and they go, yeah, that's me. I identify with that. Here's what you need. You need truth. You need the gospel. You need to be set free from this, right? So here we go, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. There's nothing better to realize that, okay, what you've done, let's say you've accomplished something, but you knew that you give credit to God. He's the one that gave you the hands and the wisdom to be able to do it. And and everything there, it all comes from Him. That's a good thing then. Realizing, look where He is... He has set us up. This could, this, all this could have been given to somebody else. But, but thank you, Lord. Uh, then he goes on, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? Ah, uh, thank you. I can breathe again. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom, God has, and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner, he's given the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity, and striking after wind. So he comes to that again. Realizes it's with God, but we can go right back to the same kind of thing and turning on the endless circle. So the qualifier there is uh, in God's sight. That's what makes one good. And that's what makes the standard of goodness in the sight of God. But um, that's two chapters. Um, it, that's that's where you get into contentment because we've seen the opposite. We see a flip-flop there, right? Um, the blessing of God. A little bit of ray of light there, a turning point a little bit, a great blessing in, in God Himself, and everything comes from the gift of God. The gift of our ability to enjoy labor in this life comes from God. gives a glimpse, but I say, Coram Deo, if you live before the face of God and everything, and seek Him out, and don't be talking, I said to myself. All of a sudden, everything is to Settle from myself. I'm looking. I'm. I gotta look within. I. I you know. I gotta find myself. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work. But everybody does that. How long have you been looking? <laughs> Wouldn't this be great for an unbeliever to read, even? And I think they could identify it. This is a good way to present things. Hey, you know, maybe we haven't been where Solomon has, but uh, we don't. Even, you know, if you could just say, hey. This this book here is uh, a favorite book of the Bible for a couple of young guys that I know. Is that they right? Say this is their favorite. Book. Is that what drew them? I don't know. I just, or, for some reason, it, it caught their attention more than because of the thinking that's that's yeah. in it. Maybe. Well, uh, maybe it wraps up their worldview. Right. It, it's, and in some way, it worries me because I'm like, you know, there's more to the Bible, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> Oh. You have to ask them, well, why Why is that? Do you identify with that? Right. I think you identify. Well, how come? Right. You know? And then say, well, what what is he trying to drive at? It's yeah. just like, you know, you've got, you've got balance here. You can't uh, always be 
saying the negative, you have to go to the positive. That's that, that's why you know uh, Nador he wrote this song, and this is this is like a preliminary sneak peek into the next album. But uh, he wrote this song, and it's taking me forever to just record it because I've, and I've expressed this to him, but it's it's sort of a down song. It's it's lonely, you know. That's the main theme of it. And it, but at the same time, you have to express those things. That's what he said. You know, he's like, he, I I need to get this out here. I need to do this. And I'm like, man, it's so down. You know, I'm like, when are we gonna get to the? the Had he been reading Ecclesiastes? Yeah. I hope he has a song to answer. It. Oh yeah. Oh, you have a verse to answer. <laughs> you know, he's good at. He, he's a writer. He has a beginning, yeah. middle, and end. The story, yeah. yeah, and that's that's the thing that the secular people have going. That's and they stop; they don't have the answer, or they give another answer that is we know Ooh, we can't go there. Mm. Yeah, and so Christians can take a same kind of a view of Ecclesiastes, where people would identify with it, and then boom, give them the punchline, the gospel, <laughs> the good news. It's there. The story has completion, doesn't it? We have that. Nobody else does. And that's where everybody's all in Ecclesiastes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for these precious people of yours that uh, identify with your truth. And um, Lord, help us to take a biblical worldview. Help us to be able to identify with the people who need this, the ones that are lost, that we would have a desire for them to know Christ, that they could see what the end of the story is and what truth is and that there is hope that comes out of the despair and the darkness that is there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.